Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. So I just want to speak today about fruitfulness. After Gary Morgan, last week, talking about fruit and seed, where you, and when you seed it, you will see it. That just stirred in me a need to speak on, on fruitfulness. And uh, we were, I was just jogging around, along East Coast um, this last week. And I was thinking, you know why? Um, he was talking about you know, having a church of 1,000 versus a ha- having a church of uh, 100. And he was um, talking about fruit. You know, asked us to consider the different fruits in the Bible and what the seeds are. So I was just jogging looking at the sunset. I don't have a picture of that, uh, but it was uh, really nice, uh, like the, 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 the sunlight shining through the trees. I was thinking, why? I was thinking about heaven, okay? You know, when, when heaven comes and when we go to heaven, what are we going to judge, be, be judged by? Are we going to be judged by the number of people we have ministered to? Or, or what? You know, the Bible tells us in uh, Matthew 7, it says that, that uh, there's good fruit and it comes from a good tree. And there is bad fruit that comes from a bad tree. And it says after that, it says that, you know, there are some who, who, who are driving out demons. They're doing miracles. But what matters is that you know me. You know me. So the fruit, talking about fruitfulness. Uh, so just want to affirm who you are as the Rhoda Church, the House of the Burning Hearts, and a fruitful church. Before we even talk about being fruitful, we need to know who we are, right? Others, other things. We, we, we have a ver- very fertile soil. When we talk about fruitfulness, we want to talk about where is it good to plant, right? Okay, my wife has been doing a lot of planting in the house, a lot of greenery in the house. If you've come to the house, at first when you enter, uh, when you come out of the lift going to the house, there's like just a pathway. But now when uh, you go up to the ninth floor and the door opens, you see greenery on both sides, welcoming us into the house. So we've been doing a lot of planting and gardening and stuff like that. And uh, we realized that different plants need different kind of soil. And we need to f- find out where the fertile soils are and start seeding, okay? So one of the fertile soils that I see is, number one, thank God for the worship team. Come on, let's give it up for the worship team. I see excellence. I see diligence. I see an ability to move in the prophetic, to go into free worship and lead people into the king, into the presence of God. So let's talk about let's talk about singing beyond go beyond singing songs to moving in the spirit, to giving prophetic words, to being involved in justice causes. There's also the fertile soil of engaging millennials, especially those working in the CBD. Um, how can we find new ways to disciple them in the city, not just here? How can we talk more about marketplace ministry? How can we plant more seeds? Provide support for those starting groups in their workplaces. How can we do more alpha that we just heard about? And we want to just seed in the places where there's fertility. So it's, it's no wonder why we are so obsessed with fruitfulness. You know, we want to talk about, we're always talking about growth and Singapore is always talking about productivity. Uh, 
productivity and growth and uh, just fruitfulness. We're so obsessed with it because in the beginning when God made men and when he made creation, he gave them a mandate and it's called the cultural mandate. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's no wonder why we are obsessed or we want to know how we can be more fruitful. But sometimes we think about fruitfulness in the way the world thinks about fruitfulness. The world says, you give how much and you get how much. But the kingdom says that um, even if you sow a little, a mustard seed, you can get a really big tree. You sow a little faith, you get a lot. The kingdom of God also says, when you give, you will receive. That's not what the, the world says. The world says, you know, you have to fight to get what you, you need. So work hard, work the economic engine, and get your pay. But fruitfulness is more than that. Christians are called to care for the world. In this cultural mandate, um, what it's trying to say is that we are called to care for the earth. And not only that, to multiply or to fill the earth with image bearers. So people who look like us and who think like us. We're called to be the connector between the church and the world to bring about a different kind of ideology about fruitfulness. When we talk about, when we, when we say the word fruitfulness, the first thing that comes to my mind is, what can I do to be fruitful? And my friends, I just want to say, that's not the right question. The right question is, what can I be to be fruitful? The reason is because in the kingdom, we believe that the, the fruit comes from the tree. And if you're not orange tree, don't think about bearing apple trees. I mean, being, bearing apples in your tree. If you're an apple tree, don't think about bearing oranges. It's no longer a doing economy. It's a being economy. People want to know who they are and then find what they can do. And that's the right order we, we should put it in. That's what I, I, I think. In the same way the Bible says, look at the tree first. Um, what kind of a tree are you? And then think about bearing what kind of fruit do you want to bear? So just, I'm just going to speak about fruitfulness in this vein. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship. It starts with a we are. We are God's workmanship first. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Who are you? Today, let me ask you that question. Who are you? You're God's workmanship. But in what way? God created all of us unique and different. There are no clones in this room. Find out who you are, God's workmanship, and then find out what you can do, uh, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's already in us. It's up to us to discover what kind of a tree you are and what kind of seed that you can, you can start to, to sow and then the kind of fruit that you are expecting to come out of, uh, to, to bear. So this verse basically means we're not saved by good works. Yeah? I mean, we're not saved because of the good works we do. 
It's not the number of demons we drive out. It's not the number of miracles we do. It's saying that we are saved for good works. Let me, let me say that again. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. In James, it also talks about um, faith. Faith without works is dead. So what, are you, what kind of good works are you doing today and how do you find that out? By looking at who you are. The patriarch who wrote the Pentateuch. Okay, this is a riddle, okay? Who can tell me who is the patriarch that wrote the Pentateuch? Who said Moses? Wow, okay, you deserve a prize. Uh, Moshe. <laughs> Today I want to talk about, I want to just uh, share more about Moshe because Moshe was uh, a guy who was, uh, he was raised in the palace, but yet he was asked to lead God's people. He was kind of like a connector. Um, and uh, it also happens that he was the only person probably that's educated enough to, to kind of write the, 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 five, the first five books of the Bible. So the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. And uh, let's see his accomplishments, okay? He led the biggest church through the wilderness. It's one thing to lead a church, but to lead a church through the wilderness is quite an accomplishment. He received the Ten commands, com Commandments from God twice. He performed the miracles of the Ten Plagues, which led to the release of the Israelites from captivity. And of course, he wrote the Pentateuch, the five books that we, we, we refer to, including Leviticus, right? Okay, though we don't uh, refer to it much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this was what he did, but look at who he was. The next slide. He wasn't what you expected him to be. He was a murderer. He was a fugitive. He ran away. He was a coward. He had a summer. And he was a foreigner. In fact, he called his first son Gershom, which means exiled. He was so, he was so filled with his identity as a, as a foreigner. He could not extract himself out of it. That even after so many years... When, he, when Jethro, his father-in-law, took him in and then he let him marry his daughter Zipporah and he gave birth, um, they gave birth to a son, he called his son uh, exiled or Gershom. And we want to identify with him today. But the interesting thing is that it's perhaps because of all these things that God pursued him. The man who was drawn out of water in a time when all the firstborns were going to be drowned in the water, Moses was the one who was drawn out of water. And I believe that all throughout his life, he had this question, no, there must be more than this. No, am I just called to be a shepherd? So the story goes that uh, after he, he stood up, he had a very strength, uh, strong sense of justice. He stood up for... Uh, one of his people, the Israelites, who was being um, uh, bullied or oppressed by the Egyptians, he killed an Egyptian in his anger and in his strong sense of justice. So after that, he was found out and he ran away just very briefly. He ran away and then uh, he met Jethro. Jethro is another figure altogether, a very interesting guy. He, uh, 
he started another religion called the Druze religion and uh, he uses uh, Old Testament, New Testament and some of the Islamic texts. But anyway, he, he was his salvation. He saved him from uh, the fugitive, uh, from being a fugitive. He gave him a job. Imagine if you're a fugitive and a murderer and getting a job was a big thing for him. He became a shepherd of one of the flocks of one of the most respected religious people in, the, in that time and one of the richest also. You know, like, it's like being uh, employed by, uh, I don't know, some Apple or what, KPMG or, you know, a, the, big, the big five. And then, uh, yeah, he, he was a shepherd for many years. And God was training him until the time where he had the experience of the burning bush. God brought his attention and disrupted his comfortable life when he brought him to the burning bush. I had a time of dis disruption in my life, uh, maybe not as dramatic as, as Moses. But when I was uh, pastoring as a youth pastor, I was one of the pastoral staff uh, pastoring the, the, the youth, and we were seeing so much fruit. You know, we were so happy to see uh, young lives coming to church and transform. You know, these, most of them were church kids, uh, but they were just, I don't know what we did, but we just were seeing fruits. They were really uh, serving God and giving their lives to God. And it was during a time of my life where I was thinking, whoa, this is it, man. I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I want to just ride this wave and uh, do this. And then uh, God said, uh, it's time to go. It's time to go study. The interesting thing is that, that there were applications on my table already. I, I told God that after two years, I want to go and study. After two years of serving God, you know, I just give my first fruits and then I was, I'll go and study some more. But after two years, that didn't happen. I just couldn't bring myself to apply to any of the seminaries, any of the schools. There were like five applications on my, on my desk collecting dust. Until the, the fifth year, or the or fifth year. Um, so uh, long story short, I applied to, to, to Fuller. Fuller accepted me, uh, got a scholarship. I couldn't say no. I had to leave. I was more like a homeboy. I like to stay at home, well, be... Singapore where it's comfortable, but God called me to another place, to the U.S. of A, <laughs> to enjoy the nice weather there, uh, but it was a disruption for me, it was difficult to leave, I, but um, when, I, when I left, I learned how to do my own things, lah. you know, cook my own rice, wash my own clothes, I even cooked some pasta for Janice. Uh, when I was in seminary, and then, uh, but God opened up a a, a bigger a platform for me. I learned more about justice issues. I worked with the homeless, uh, did some fundraising things for the homeless, and uh, uh, God really struck my heart when I was face to face with a homeless person. And I had given him a word of knowledge. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't have that gift, but somehow I went back to my my apartment, and God said, you know, this guy has a daughter named Alex. Alexandra or Alexandria, I can't remember. So he said, you got to go back and tell him that I care about your relationship with your daughter, Alexandra. So I went back. I told this man, do you by any chance, you know, know anyone called Alexandra? Uh, and then he said, yeah, I know Alexandra and she's my daughter. I, I think about her every day. And he started crying. I'm like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> uh, but that was my first... Uh, 
encounter with a homeless person and in that face as he was crying through his parched, dry and parched skin, the tears were flowing down, I suddenly saw the face of Jesus. It was a, it was a, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, the Bible says that, you know, when you minister to the least of my brethren, you minister unto me. So that started my uh, journey to knowing more about justice and not about poverty and, and how to reduce that. Of course, there's a lot more that I've uh, gained from seminary and one of the biggest things, perhaps the, the biggest thing that I had and got and received from God during that time was my wife, Janice. <laughs> Such a smart lady, so elegant, and I'm so blessed that my house got plants now. <laughs> Okay, I'm embarrassing her, I'm embarrassing myself also. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, disruption. In the world today, we're talking about disruption, right? I don't know how many of y'all talk about disruptive innovation. It's like the, the buzzword right now, no? Uh, last time, we don't like to disrupt things. Though. They just keep the status quo, do things like, you know, my father's father did, and my boss tell you to do like that, you just do like that. But now we're trying to embrace disruptive innovation, blockchain and big data and and it really speed things up, right? But you know, but we are we are taught in the Bible that disruption really changes our lives for the better. Thank you, God, for my disruptions. Moses was afraid to do the will of God. He had no confidence. He was just a shepherd. I don't know what's the equivalent for a shepherd these days. Maybe a a preschool teacher, we, we lead sheep around, uh, or uh, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Um, so Moses said, Lord, I'm only a shepherd boy. Why do you call me? What, who will listen to me? Who will believe the voice of a fugitive like me? They will think I'm mad if I tell them I've met with God. No one has met with God for hundreds of years. What if they don't listen to me? And the Lord replied him with the question that is named the topic for today. What is in your hand? I believe God is asking us this question today. What is in your hand from faithfulness to fruitfulness? I'm going to read you a story. It's only four verses from Exodus chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. don't hear any pages flipping. That means you're clicking. Aha, uh -huh, yeah, I hear it. <laughs> right from the front. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start reading, okay? I know you're getting there, but uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand, he said, a staff or a rod. I'm reading for the NKJV, okay? And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. What? Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod or a staff back in his hand. Oops. Sorry. Thanks. 
don't, okay, let me just give you, I'm just going to give you three points uh, uh, for this sermon, okay? The first one is, isn't it so easy to look at what is in other people's hands? God asks you what is in your hand, and you go and ask, why don't you look at Chris's hands? His hand's nicer than mine. Or, you know, he has a degree, or he has a master's. Or, you know, he does better than me. He's a better, he's more athletic than I am. He's fitter than me. He looks better than me. He can rap. Uh, so the next slide says, don't look at other people's hand. The first thing is, uh, he was, um, Moses was in doubt. You know, he was like, what if? And uh, uh, he was, he's saying, he's giving excuses. I'm slow in speech. And in verse 13, he says, please send someone else. This made, if you read, uh, this made God really angry because God is trying to do something good for him. Uh, I mean, it's a disruption, but he was trying to disrupt him for the better and trying to give him, he already, you know, like you give him an inch, he wants a mile, that kind of thing. He already helped him many times and he keep giving excuses. So he was really frustrated. So first point is don't ask what is in other people's hands. We don't want to look at what's other people's hands. Look, sometimes when I look at what's in, in my hand, right, my Like when you oh my phone is here, so when you, when you look at your phone, even when you're you're looking at what is in your own hand, what happens is Facebook comes up, and then what do you do? You scroll right. Oh, Hui Ming is with Ifu. She is doing some creation care stuff. I wish I was doing more creation care stuff. Um, oh, there's this uh, guy who is. Uh, who made a movie and it, it, it won some awards. Oh, I wish I was a director, man. I mean, when I did the test, they told me I could be a creative director, but I didn't do it. So we're scrolling, I'm looking at all the plans. Oh, Janice, we underestimate the difference it makes when there is support. She's so intellectual. I wish I was <laughs> more intellectual than this. Wow. And like... Uh, so, when we look in our phones, in the, even in our hands, we, we are looking at other people's hands all the time. But God is saying, I didn't ask you to look at other people's hands. I asked what is in your hands. And today, let me ask you, what is in your hands? Don't despise it, because God can use it for His purpose. If He can use a lifeless rod to do the miracles that freed the 600,000 uh, captives in Egypt, He can use what is in your hands as well. When I think about what is in my hand, I realize that the one thing that I hold the most is one of the most precious entrustments God has given me, the hands of my children, my anak. Each day when I'm with my children, I'll be holding Ezra and Elisa's hands to cross the road and walk. And I do realize that there's a very specific window that I can teach parents, disciple them, and after that, they need to really learn how to fend for themselves. And there's even a smaller window when they will actually hold your hand and listen to you. So, therefore, I try my best to be fruitful with these entrustments that I have. I read up and apply how to better listen to their needs, how to model what I expect of them because the fruit will not fall very far away from the tree. So parents, if you want your children to be good, you be good. You got to model behavior. So I'm learning these things, you know. If my children want to drink cold drink, I look at my hand, I'm holding a, a cold drink in my hand. So, wow, 
what kind of what, what am I teaching them with my non-verbals, right? We need to model these to our friends, uh, to our to our children, and the things that are in our hands. So, my what is in my hand is closely linked to the fruit that I bear. What I have in my hands is closely linked to the fruit that I bear. Uh, relating to looking at what is other people's hands, what will happen if I start to compare my kids with other people's kids? Right? Not only are they not benefiting from it, I'm not concentrating on what I can do with my kids. I'm distracted. So in, in the city, there's also the fertile soil of making babies. Amen? I mean, in the last... I have to talk about the, all the fertile soil so that we know where to seed, right? Okay, guys, yeah, don't think so far, okay? Um, talk about the fruit of the womb. Um, so another fruit that we have is, of course, making babies. Let's think about how can we... Okay, not make babies. How can we be better parents, okay? That one don't need to teach one. Uh, how can we be better parents to, to disciple our kids well, to be good uh, uh, examples? Model behavior for them. Um, just want to encourage you not to look at other people's hands because when we keep looking at other people's hands, we spend less time concentrating on what is in our hands. When we spend less time thinking about what we have in our hands, what is in our hands cannot reach its full potential. If we despise what God has given to us, we're telling God, I know better than you. We think like this very often, but many times we don't realize it. When we worry, we are actually saying to God, you don't know what you're doing. I have to hold on and I have to, to do it the way that I want to do it. But God sometimes allows things to happen to us so that we can learn to trust Him and let go. When we don't pray, we're saying, I don't need you, God. But do you know that to succeed in your work, you need to pray? To succeed as a parent, you need to pray? Who is the one who gives you promotion? Who is the one who gives innovative ideas? You might say, oh, good promotion is my boss or my boss's boss. But if you trace all the bosses all the way to the boss, you realize that you have to pray, right? <laughs> so, we, let's not look at other people's hands. Let's spend more time looking at what is in our hands, not other people's hands. Let us not despise what God has put in your hands. If God can use the lifeless rod in Moses' hand to do great miracles, He can use what is in your hand to rot the work of His hand. Second point, the staff and the snake. This is very interesting what he does, uh, uh, what happens here. In verse 2 to 4, I'm going to repeat. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod or a staff. And he said, cast it to the ground. The thing that I've been using so, uh, I've mastered my my staff is my tool as a shepherd. He said, what? Throw it on the ground. These are the things that we, our competencies. No, God first asks us to throw it on the ground to let it grow before it can become the miracle that He meant it for it, for it to be. So a lot of times we feel very difficult to, to uh, in the process of letting go of our competencies, uh, we start to discover the attitude that is in our heart. And I want to talk a little bit about that, okay? It says here, your strength can turn 
into your weakness. Isn't it so true? Uh, when we are good at something, where we can do it unconsciously competent at some things, we start to what depend on our own strength. We start to not pray so much anymore. And then we begin to think that it is our flesh that has accomplished this. And we keep going in. Pride goes, comes in. And uh, we start to trust in ourselves more than trusting in God. So God wants to deal with our attitude. He's asking us, you know, how much do you trust me? And uh, I wanted to add this scripture in from Jeremiah 17. I, I, I hope this speaks to someone today. Um, this is what the Lord says. It's on the screen. Jeremiah 17. Trusting in God. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. Now, that's really sad. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. See, the roots are so embedded into the soil and always having access to clean water that even in a year of drought, his leaf is green and he's bearing fruit. I really like this version of the tree and the fruit. Because other, other versions talk about a good fruit, a, a good tree bears fruit in season. But this one doesn't say in season. I just take it to, to mean that it never fails to bear fruit all the time. Whatever it sets its hand to do, it bears fruit. And even in a year of drought, even in a year of economic recession, everybody is just... Let's try to tong, uh, tong for these next three years, you know. We, we scale down and everything. You are scaling up and you are, you, are, you are bearing fruit in a year of drought. And the sad thing is, if you trust in man, it says there, you do not see prosperity when it comes. You see, when we are always looking at other people and not focusing on what God has given to us and not using and putting them to good use, we are not conscious of what is happening around us. We're so... Um, 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 how do you say? We're so into the things that we like to do and the ones that we want to do and the things that make us happy that we, we fail to look around us. And that's when we, we don't see when prosperity comes. Fruitfulness comes in serving as well. When we start to serve, we begin to look beyond ourselves and we start to give to other people. And when we give to other people, our, our eyes are open everywhere else instead of inside and that's when we, got, we, we, we are able to see what the seasons are, the times are, and we can respond when prosperity comes. So let's be the good tree that trusts in the Lord. So the other point is your weakness can turn into your strength as well. Exodus chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, the other miracle... The second miracle that is given to Moses, it says, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand into your cloak. And he puts his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, 
His hand was leprous, it was white as snow. And he said, put your hand into your cloak once again. He put it in, and it, when he drew it out, behold, it was restored like his other flesh. God turned the leprous hands to be restored back into his flesh where he can begin to use it again. I think some of us, you know, have experienced times when our weaknesses are just left on its own. And when God says to pick it up or to put it back in your cloak, uh, you're not willing to do it. It's interesting, right? Because when you see Moses, when he threw it on the ground and his staff turned into a snake, his, his strength turned into a weakness. He, what? It's something he kept so close to him when he sleeps, he, he puts it on his chest and everything, and it turned into a snake. And he was so scared of it. Um, the weakness or the thing that God wants us to do for him can be something that we're really scared to do. I think he's really scared of snakes. But the, uh, he, God asked him to, he said, come, you know, let me show you how to do it. So I imagine, okay. This is how you do it. You just take it by the tail. Huh? You don't need to take it by the mouth. Okay, just slowly take the tail. And then it became a staff again. Now you try it now. You do it. This is discipleship and mentoring. And then Moses is like, snakes, I'm so scared. But he picks it up by the tail and it becomes a staff again. You see, God can turn the lifeless rod into his hands, into, into a, a living serpent. And even the snake that he wants uh, he has uh, created. He wants us to be able to pick it up again so that it, become, it can turn into our strength. Here I'm talking about some of us who have broken dreams. You know, maybe once upon a time we were really competent in something. We were gifted in doing something, but somehow because something happened, we were hurt. And we stopped doing that thing altogether. And we said we never want to do it again. That sounds like the, the rap. But uh, yeah, we, we don't want to do it ever again because we were so hurt by that. And God is slowly saying, come, come closer a bit. No, don't be so afraid. Come closer. Let me show you how I do it. And then we pick it up and he finally turns his weakness back into a strength. He turns a snake into a staff. Sometimes it's, it's not about whether we're using our strengths our weaknesses because God can use both the staff and the snake in our hands it's about our attitude you know the moment when God said to Moses pick up the snake then only he start to consider picking up the snake and he, he started to, to realize that oh I have a fear I have a fear of snakes and it's a really big fear and he starts to realize that oh my attitude uh, is, is not good and I need to um, uh, improve on that. I think sometimes when God calls us to do something, until we, we, we want to see the end, we want to see the destination, and until we see the destination, we will not move even one step. But God is saying, move slowly. Just obey in the first thing, and then I will show you the next thing. And God reveals that, oh, you need to, is something a change in your attitude? And then, oh, you need to uh, be more bold, uh, not to be so afraid of trying new things. And it slowly by slowly, it, the, the weakness becomes 
a strength. Is this uh, making sense to anybody? God can use our weaknesses, especially in Moses' case, to become the miracle that he needs. Some of us think, if God is so great, why does he need us? We are only mere men. But shouldn't we think like this? If God is so great, there is no man he cannot use. If God is so great, there is no man he cannot use. In his greatness, he chooses to use us. There is no woman who can, he cannot use. Over history, he has used men and women, young and old. He used the young men, Joseph and David, one a prime minister and another a king. Both were young, you know, they were teenagers. He used the old prophet Jeremiah, and he also used Caleb, the old warrior, to con continue to war. He chose to use women, Esther and Deborah, one a woman of beauty, the other a woman of war. He wants to use you today, if only you are willing there's a story I, I know about this man called Uncle Jimmy. Uncle Jimmy was an elderly man, but before he knew Christ, he had a gift. And this gift, what, he, was, he was good at playing the bass. Uh, he would play in lounges and entertainment, uh, in the entertainment industry in many places. And people would call him to play here and there. And he was really competent in his gift. But all this time after he became a Christian, he felt like God once is convicting him to to not play in the lounges anymore, but start to play music in the church and to lead his people in worship. So he started to do that a little bit. He, he did both. He played in lounges, in the nights, and then on Sunday morning, he's playing in church. And one day, uh, um, he decided, uh, no, he didn't want, so during this time, he didn't want to obey God. He didn't want to stop playing in the lounges. And he just continued this uh, two-world thing. And one day, his, his fingers froze. He couldn't play in the lounge or in the church. They just got stuck. And he said that the moment he, he decided, he knew that God was speaking to him, and he decided to stop playing in the entertainment lounge. And the moment he stopped, uh, his fingers were restored almost immediately. And then he became uh, what was one of the, the biggest the worship leaders in our church. And, and he also became the worship director in our church. God can use our weaknesses and our strengths for His glory. And maybe we can just take one small step at a time and we will get to the place where God is being glorified by what we do. Next point. What color is your parachute? When I was younger, uh, I did this thing. Anybody know what color is your parachute? Make any, does it ring any bell? Okay, it's, it's a book that's this thick. It's supposed to tell you what's your, uh, the, the, the job, the career that you, uh, um, that's fitting for you. So you go through a whole lot of questions. It was really, really um, difficult to go through. I did everything. And guess what came up? <laughs> no, bastard didn't come up. <laughs> yeah, uh, what came up was creative director. If you don't know what a creative director is, I think it's uh, when you, you know, when you do design, uh, then you gotta talk to the client, the client first what you want, then you go to your creative director what you want, and then it's like this thing lah. So I'm quite thankful uh, that I didn't need to, uh, to do that lah because, yeah, it's a, you cannot sleep one lah this kind of job. 
So <laughs> I didn't become that, but I became a pastor. I also don't get a lot of sleep. But <laughs> what color is your parachute? No, I don't have a lot of faith in these um, assessments anymore. Uh, they don't really help in the end because God will ask you to do what you're not competent to do either. Uh, also, Th that's the only way to grow. Oh, some people are laughing here. Okay, I hope this is uh, making sense to you. Um, so I think what it all boils down to is about our attitude. How can we posture ourselves so that no matter what job we are doing, or no matter what, what uh, area or in church you are ministering it in, your attitude allows you to posture yourself so that you are able to excel and you're able to bear fruit in each of them. Yeah, I'll come to that about faithfulness uh, turning into fruitfulness. Because I think we... I need, I need to rush through this, okay? So faithfulness is not uh, fruitfulness. Uh, I just want to encourage you all to do a few things, you know, to try and see whether... To take this one, some small steps, you know. Being faithful and doing things week in, week out doesn't necessarily ensure that you bear fruit, right? You can keep doing it, right? Just be faithful, man. This is my duty, and I, I'm just going to show up, and I'm just going to keep doing it. Good for you, but if you want to be fruitful, I think there may be some elements you can add to your faithfulness, and that's in the next slide. Uh, diligence. Are you being diligent and excellent at what you do? You know, you don't just turn up and then... I didn't uh, practice this at home, you know, if you're playing the guitar, uh, or if you're a worship leader, you know, they even worship together with it. Are you being diligent to, with it? Are you being excellent in your gift? You start to question yourself. It's okay. It's better that you question yourself than your worship director question you. Hey, how come you didn't? Uh, then you get it. So it says, yeah, everything you do aim to excel for what's worth doing is worth doing well. If you're going to do it, let's do it right. Well, Right? My ex-pastor told me, you know. Okay, next one, faith. Are you adding faith to what you're doing? You know, we, sometimes we keep doing the same things over and over again because they work. But is there something else you can do? Is God calling you to change it up a little bit? You know, put in some spice into the sermon, you know, sing something that you never did before. And just, you know, wing it and do it. Even though you have the jitters, I've been having the jitters. I think I have never sweat so much, uh, smelly sweat. Uh, in this last, uh, before when I was speaking, then this, in this last few uh, days, practicing the, the rap. You know, <laughs> just super, feel very uncomfortable. Lah. Are you adding faith to it? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are you stepping out in faith? Um, so if God didn't ask me to do, actually, I, I, I won't. Lah. I, mean, I just prefer to talk. Running out of time is always waste time, right? <laughs> so the third one is community. This is the interesting thing that I discovered. Okay, when I look out uh, fruitfulness in, uh, on the internet, you know, how can I make my fruit that doesn't bear fruit become more fruitful? Well, one of the suggestions is to plant another tree that is not like yours. Let's say you have an apple tree. Plant a pear tree beside your tree and let it cross-pollinate. Guys, I, I, you know, the bees, the birds and... Okay, not the birds, but the bees... 
Okay. The bees do so much for us, okay? Uh, we don't realize the, the, the small things in our life really give us... Okay, you are going off track. <laughs> okay, thank God for the bees, okay? But when they cross-pollinate between the trees, it actually produces more fruit. Any, any agriculturalists or people here can attest to that? I don't know. I read it online. I don't know how true that is. But if you're doing something and you're good at it, you know, don't be afraid to invite other people with other competencies to come and tell you how to do it better or to, you know, exchange ideas. You know, like, let's say you're in a hospitality uh, role, right? Uh, why don't we call... Sorry, did I press it off? Test one, two. There you go. Test one, two. Test one, two. Okay. Can we mix up a bit? Um, can we um, cr cross-pollinate with other areas? Uh, think of ways to do things differently. Uh, let's skip to the, the last point, small things with great love. When I was working in church, uh, there were some people that came you know, and said, uh, we want to serve in church. So I said, okay, let's, let's have you to serve as an usher first. You know, you need, you're, the, you're the front line of the church. You give people a good impression. And they tell me, we don't do things. Some of them say, we don't do this kind of thing. Don't usher. We only do the things on stage one. So for those people, we didn't uh, put them up in any ministry. But let's learn from... Yeah, we just b basically rejected them. I get your attitude correct. Lah. Uh, <laughs> Mother Teresa, little things with small love. I mean, uh, sorry, small things with big love. Next, next slide. <laughs> Don't look for big things. Just do small things with great love. The smaller the thing, the greater must be our love. I think it's wonderful if someone like Andre gives this uh, a quote is something that we can hang on to and really uh, do uh, and, and apply. But Mother Teresa, the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979 and a whole lot of uh, awards that she got from India and from all over the world, this lady was, was a person who was familiar with people up there and yet, when you read more about her, she has darkness in her life. She says, for 40 years, I doubted my faith. A person who has, uh, she said, I do, is God really real? This is what I read online. Uh. And she was struggling with like, being in the pits of hell. You know, working with people who are like already dead, you know. He she will carry them together with a few of her other sisters. They are... This man, uh, I heard the story of this man lying there for a few days. He had a big wound and there were flies all over. He was bloody and everything. She came and she, with such compassion, they carried her and nursed him to hell, talked to him until he was able to talk. So are, the role that she does in her organization is to help people to, who are terminally ill to die with uh, dignity. La. So there's so much. She was, uh, she was familiar with the pits of hell, I would say, and even having doubts and darkness in her life and, and being accoladed and being um, uh, put up in the pedestal. But yet, this is what she says. She says, 
Don't look for big things. Just do small things with great love. And this is her, her occupation. She wants to be preoccupied with doing small things with the, the smaller the thing, the greater must be our love. I think it's, uh, it's if it's three, uh, Mother, Mother Teresa that said this, uh, it, it means so much more. Um, next, next slide says, love is a fruit. She said also that love is a fruit in season at all times and within reach of every hand. This gives us faith and gives us hope wherever we are. If we cannot exercise any more love, let's just uh, be encouraged by this. And finally, she talks about so small things. Uh, the, the last uh, quote is, let us always meet each other with a smile, for the smile is the beginning of love. I always thought that uh, one of my friends, Ting Kwan, his favorite quote is this. He's always quoting this. And I was like, why do you, you quote this kind of thing, you know, smiling? It's like, it's such a small thing, you know. You know, can we have something more grand and everything? Uh, but I tried to apply this, you know, uh, one time when I was uh, doing the huddle, you know, I shared about smiling. And I tried to smile wherever I see people. And the more I do it, the more love gets stirred up within us. When I feel like I don't have love for this. But it's true. The smile is the beginning of love. Um... I think that's all I have for you. Let's be faithful with a little and God will bless us with more. Let's be faithful in the little things. You know, if you guys, any of you are like really, uh, you're doing your ministry and you have your business that's really big, learn to do the small things well. Learn to serve other people. Try to do these small things and you find so much value in them. When I was at the Hillsong Conference, uh, many years ago, I found out that the CEOs in Hillsong Conference love to be drivers. You know, when they call for drivers for speakers, they are the first to go there and say, I want to do this driver job. These are CEOs of groups of companies. I just want to be a driver. Learn to do the small little things and find value in them. Okay, I just want to have a short time where we consider, okay, can we just... Uh, have a band up and uh, let's just softly play, let's let the music softly play as we invite you to close your eyes. We're going to start to consider what is in your hand. I mean, there may be a few things that may be in your hand. But let's just take some time. Take some time to do this. I was asking my LG to pray for me uh, for this sermon. Yeah, quite a number of times. And then uh, Desmond replied, confirm good one, because God honors your excellence. Wow, when I read that, I read it again. Desmond replied, confirm good one, because God honors your excellence. So you see what he did there? This is how I interpreted it. His words reminded me that if the sermon good, not good, that means I'm not excellent. Wow. <clears throat> but he also had full confidence that I will be excellent because he says God honors your excellence, right? So in teaching me about fruitfulness, he didn't throw away his faith in me also. His words kept me up when I worked late on this sermon. When the midnight oil is burning, I was kept up by this confirmed good one because God honors your excellence. 
thank you for LG and the support that uh, they give to us. And the many prayers that I think have made a lot of difference uh, for this and many servants to come. So there's the fertile soil of supporting and encouraging our pastors also. Let me just preach a little bit more. I think that's fertile soil. Um, how can we encourage our pastors more? How can we sow into this area of fertile soil? You know, when we sow into fertile soil, we will see fruit many times. Can I just encourage you a little bit more, just a little bit more? I was on my world tour and I was uh, going to different groups and I was very encouraged by some of the things I heard. Uh, in one group, one girl uh, shared that she's been battling um, insomnia for many years and it's something that she's just coping with. She's trying to be faithful and just trying to cope with it. And she knows that, but she knows at the back of her mind, whenever there's an exam on Monday, Sunday, she won't be able to sleep. So, what she did was, even though she was already coping, she was just learning how to cope with it and very happy with, well, maybe not very happy, but just going, taking it uh, one step at a time. She heard uh, uh, Andre's sermon on memorizing scripture. And she said, come on, why don't we just do this? Let's add faith to this. Let's, let's do this, okay? And then she said, uh, I'm going to memorize scripture. She started to memorize scripture and the night before the exam, she memorized one scripture and she was able to sleep throughout the night. Correct me if I'm wrong. But from there on, she realized that there's this special window of grace that she stepped into. Uh, and she began to memorize scripture more and more. And now she's, it's a journey. It's not like over, but she's getting better and better sleep every time she learns to memorize scripture. Just that small step. 